Hello again, church. Let us go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer as we get into the word this morning. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we come before you and we just ask for the blessings of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we get to the scriptures today, as we get to look at yet one more parable of Christ Jesus, I ask, Father God, that you speak through me, that it be me, you and not I. And I ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. We dare not open the Bible without the Holy Spirit pouring out so that we can understand its message today. Bless us and keep us right now and anoint my lips. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello, everybody. It's good to see all of you. I haven't... I was at Perry last week, and I think I was camp meeting the week before. I can't keep track, but I'll be here for the next couple of weeks um, uh, as well, every Sabbath for the next two or three weeks. Um, today we're looking at this idea of worshipers. As you have know, for quite a few months now, we've been looking at different parables of Jesus. Today is no different, and we're going to dive right in. Let's go ahead and get that up on the screen. We are looking at Luke chapter 18. Beginning on verse 9, Luke 18, beginning on verse 9, and here's another parable of Jesus, and we're getting the setting, we're getting the understanding. Some parables are a little bit hard to interpret, but other ones are a little bit easier. This is one of those. Now, just because it's easy to interpret, it doesn't mean that we're not getting a very tough message. Is that all right? So don't confuse the delivery of the message with being easy to be received. And here it is. Luke 18, beginning on verse 9, it says, Also he, meaning Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So here, here's individuals who are saying, you know what? I am okay. I'm righteous. I'm all good. But look at you people, right? Peasants. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector right over there. Verse 12, I fast twice a week, I give tithes and, and all of all that I possess. In verse 13, and the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a powerful prayer. And even though it's referring to him as a tax collector, you know, I mentioned this before, tax collectors at the time were equivalent to people who did evil because they were famous for uh, extorting people and getting extra. Hey, I know you're supposed to only give $100, but you got to make it three or else you're going to go to jail. So, so people hate it tax collectors. I mean, some of you who own businesses and now it's tax season and you have to file stuff before that dreadful day in April a couple of weeks ago, you, uh, you know, you, you may struggle with, with Uncle Sam and the money you got to pay back. I, I get that, but tax collectors were equivalent to sim, sinful people. 
Notice that they're both going to the temple to pray. Notice that they're both showing up to church Saturday morning at 9.30 in the morning for Sabbath school and at 11, 10.45 for the divine worship hour. Notice that both of them are here in the church worshiping. There's only two types of worshipers. Generally, they fall in these two categories. The one who looks to think that he's better than anybody else, who gets on his high horse and says, well, look at me. I am wearing the best Sabbath attire today. You know, check it out. And, and, and I'm doing all of these things, and I show up on time. <laughs> you people who showed up at 931. Pfft, I was here at 925. Look at that. Five minutes early than what I was supposed to. I mean, here's who you have. But look at what the Lord says in Isaiah 65, 5, at, at those who, who put themselves on a high horse, who think that they're better than others. Isaiah 65, 5. Who say... Keep to yourself and do not come near me, for I am holier than thou. I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Have you ever been in a situation where there's fire and there's smoke? Have you ever been even to a sauna where it's too hot and you go in there and you breathe and it's like, oh, that burns and the, the air is hot. I mean, imagine that. This is not a pleasant thing. This is not like when my wife is cooking and you smell the aroma coming through the air condition. Ooh, you know. No, no, no. This is different. The Lord says that if you think that you're better than everybody else, you stink. You're like hot smoke going up his nose that burns all day. Not for a little bit, but it's just going and going and going. And you stink before the Lord. This is just the word of God. I'm just simply quoting. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But I want you to understand that this person in this parable, notice how his prayer goes. He is not saying, I have failed, and thanks to you I have the victory. Thank God that I am not like these people and that tax collector over there. I mean, he is comparing his righteousness not to the righteousness of God, but he is comparing his righteousness to other people. Listen, I... First of all, I had an older brother that we fought every day. I've done the fighting thing, okay? I have done both street fighting, and I've also have had some training where you do tournaments and you compete and so forth. But I learned a long time ago, and you've heard me say this before, that there are people always who are going to be stronger than you and people that are going to be weaker than you. Yes, in the church, there might be people that look like they're more sinful than you and other people that look they're holier than you. But you need to stop comparing yourself to people. Look, I am not the tallest person, but whenever we have a family reunion, I am a giant. I know what Quran feels like when he walks around the church. That's right, family. I am the tallest son. Yeah. Why? Because there's always going to be somebody better and somebody worse. No matter what, you will never be the best. There will always be people better or worse. And it's easy to go around and feel like you're okay saying, yes, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like him or him or her or her. Yes, Jesus. Thank you. But what about when you come close to the cross, when you compare yourself to the Savior, you cannot help to recognize like the other individual who just sat there, did not even look up and just be his chest and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I am wretched. This other man bragged about his deeds while putting down other people. 
And that is not the way that it's supposed to be. Check out this quote. We'll have it on the screen. Christ's Object Lessons, page 151. It says, Whoever trusts in himself that he is righteous will despise others. As the Pharisee judges himself by other men, so he judges other men by himself. He's not as pretty or as tall as I am. His hair doesn't look like mine at all. His righteousness is estimated by theirs. And the worse they are, the more righteous by contrast he appears. His self-righteousness leads to accusing other men. He condemns and as transgressors of God's law. Thus he is making manifest the very spirit of what? Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Who with this spirit, it is impossible for him to enter into communion with God. He goes down to his house destitute of the divine blessing. With this spirit, it is impossible to come into communion with God. Jesus said it himself. Now we're reading a quote here from Christ's Object Lesson. But he said it. The one that didn't lift his eyes up. The one that prayed. The one that recognized where he was. He's got the blessing unlike the other guy. Couldn't get a blessing. Why? Because he was thinking of him, looking at himself, looking at others, and exalting himself above others. You see, the tax collector had a whole different spirit. A spirit of recognition of how wretched he is, what a sinful man he is. And when you come to Christ in that attitude... Recognizing where you are, not pretending, not faking it, not downplaying it. You know, I've been doing marriage counseling. Next month it will be 20 years. And it always messes me up when there is a lie that the person discovers, the mister or the missus. Look, what is this text? What is this? I found this here. Tell me the truth. I want to hear about it. No, nothing happened. Well, it only happened once. Well, maybe twice. And it's like, why aren't you just coming clean? Okay, I'll come clean to you. I'm telling you the truth. It was really nothing happened. Like, seriously? How are you being honest while downplaying? How are you confessing to 50 sins by only admitting to one? Lord, you know that I mess up sometimes. Be clear, be honest with yourself because you are deceiving yourself otherwise. Number one, you deceive yourself thinking that you're better than you are. And it is not until you really see yourself for who you are that you will truly surrender and say, Lord, oh my God, I don't deserve it. I really don't deserve you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. I am here. See, understand something about these worshipers, these two individuals. We have seen the type from the very beginning. Cain and Abel, in the very beginning, they both worshiped the Lord. They gathered wood, they gathered things, they built an altar. They went to worship the Lord, but one of them was sincere. One of them was grateful. One of them gave an an offering that was acceptable before the Lord, while the other one did not. I mean, if you think about this, look... I, I, I do a lot, and some days I have my lazy days where I don't want to do even a whole lot. Sometimes I'm so happy when my wife comes into the room, babe, babe, can you, can you turn on the fan, please? Because I forgot to turn it on after I lay down, and I don't want to get off the cover. It's so great when she comes in. It's like, yes. You know, and if the kids are out, sometimes I call them just so that they could go and push a button for me because, you know, I, I could do the lazy thing. But imagine what it is for Cain and Abel to go right ahead and go through all of the motions of everything and anything. And when it came down to presenting an offering, one was sincere and one was not. One was accepted and one was rejected. Church, 
If you ain't going to be genuine about your desire for a relationship with Christ, then why bother pretending or playing church? You're fooling all of the wrong people. You're fooling all of the wrong people. You know, I got to, uh, I was working at a company once, and I was a manager there. And I had this guy that was buttering me all up. Brought, 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 brought some snacks and things, talking to me, everything else. And then he made a request. I said, listen, I appreciate all of this, but you got to talk to the owner. That is not about me. You butter up the wrong person. This is why it cracks me up when I go visit you and you hide your DVD collection. You are impressing the wrong guy. Who you are when no one is watching is really who you are. Those movies that you're watching at nighttime when I'm not there, the Lord sees you. Has nothing to do with you convincing me. So why go through all of it if you're not being sincere? Two worshipers in this parable. One genuine, one not. One fool of himself and another one who recognized exactly who he was. This is why our scripture reading for today, we'll have it up on the screen, Matthew 5, 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so here you have Jesus mentioning this in, 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 his, in his Beatitudes because it is very key to who enters in the kingdom of heaven. Now, these two types of worshiper, the one that was a Pharisee and the one who was a tax collector, the one who was full of pride and the one that was genuine, you get to see this in the life of Peter. And so we're going to look at some highlights in the life of Peter. One of my first sermons here three years ago, I told you that Peter is my favorite Bible person. Why? Because Jesus is awesome, but he is God. Peter, on the other hand, was human. And so Peter, on the other hand, yes, and I know Jesus was also human, became like us. But what I'm saying, he's still the son of God, and he knew God before, and he was there creation, and he was there after, and he's still Jesus. So it's hard for me to fully appreciate him like Peter, who was a dumb, hard-headed fisherman, who said a lot of stupid things, who made a lot of mistakes, who was ready to fight people and kill soldiers when they came to fight Jesus. And yet, when he allowed Christ to fully work in his life, he was able to say things in the book of Acts like silver or gold, I do not have but what I do have I give to you in the name of Christ Jesus get up and walk that's why I look at Peter and I say whoa if there was hope for that dum-dum I know there's hope for me too and so we're going to look at some highlights of Peter's life real quick Matthew 14 27 we'll have it on the screen here's Jesus foretelling about what's going going to happen and he says then Jesus said to them all of you all of you how many all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then two verses later, good old Peter, verse 29, Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet it will not be me, Jesus. And then about a few verses later... <laughs> Just just like 30 seconds later, <laughs> then, then, then all of these things happen. I mean, do you see his pride there? I, I, <laughs> these people might fall, but not me. Come on. Luke 22, 31. Luke 22, 31. Luke 22, 31. Because you see, Peter's pride had gotten the best of him. Peter, Peter's pride had gotten the best. Sorry, I skipped the whole text. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. So sorry. Fast fingers. All right. Um, sorry, Luke 22, verse 60. Luke 22, verse 60. Sorry about that. 
I, I skipped a whole other page. Gotta love digital stuff, but yes. Um, here you have something that, that, that happens with Peter, and, and, and we're going to read this just a moment because here's the thing. When Peter said, they will all fall, but not I, he got all caught up into himself. And it was that very night that he grew in danger of believing everything that he uttered. It was that very night that he began to deny Jesus after trying to commit murder for the people that came to arrest him. And, 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 so, and so here is the problem with Jesus. You know the story where he went right ahead and after they came to get Jesus, he tried to fight with the soldier. Jesus came and healed the soldier's ears back up. Then he started denying Jesus. But there's something that you may or may not have missed with the story. Have you ever been caught doing something? When I was six, seven years old, I was, I was, I was very young, my uh, mom have left to the store. And she says, Joey, stay in the house. I'm going to go over there real quick. Don't you dare go outside. But here's what happens. See, what happened was, I have gotten this little, you guys may not know this, and some of the kids with your video games, you get cheated and stuff. Back in the day, we had toy soldiers that we used to play with, you know? And I had just gotten the latest parachute man. Yes, it's a little green soldier with a little strings in the back and a little plastic parachute that you sort of toss it up in the air, and then, whee, you know, he kind of just goes down. So in the house, being a one-story house, I kept hearing the ceiling. It didn't work out when Mama went, and she says, don't you dare go outside. Guess what I did? I went right outside. And so I, I threw it up, and whee, and I threw it up, and whee, and I threw it up, and where did it go? It landed on the roof. So, you know, in Puerto Rico... Even back in the day, crime, violence, etc. wasn't the greatest, especially in the city. So there's metal bars on every window. Makes it easy for someone like me to just climb. So I got up there, walked through the roof a little bit, find it. And as I'm climbing down, I hear the horn in my mom's car as she's pulling up in the driveway. And we just had that moment as I'm going down that I looked at her and she looked at me and her windows were up. I don't know what she said, but in my mind, I heard all of these things. Wait until I park the car. Wait until I get you. Remember what I told you. All I saw was... And I'm sitting there. And we just sort of looked, and I froze. And I climbed down the rest of the way. I ran inside, and I don't know what I was thinking. I was trying to go really fast and go to sit down, thinking as though, you know, I could pretend like that didn't happen. Like she didn't just see me outside. Like she wouldn't recognize her own son in her house, in her window, climbing down with the clothes that I'm wearing. But I just went right inside, and, and I, was, I was scared. I was upset. I was angry. I can't believe she caught me. And I went, and I dove right into the seat. But I forgot it was a recliner, and it flipped all together, and we had this glass table, had a glass table, and my ankle went right through, and I still got the scar right here in this right foot, and, and, and broke it, and then now mama had to now take me to the emergency room to get like 37 stitches, and you know, medical system in Puerto Rico used to stink horribly at the time, and they left one stitch in, and it didn't heal for months. And anyhow, it was just horrible. But, but, but for a moment there, imagine my thoughts as I'm climbing down, and as we just connect with one another, and it's like, my heart just dropped, and I felt it. Here's what happened. Here you have Hours before it happens. This night, all of you will stumble because the Bible saith about shepherd and sheep scatter. Oh, no, Lord, not I. 
And then it happens, and we pick it up right here in Luke chapter 22, verse 60. It says, but Peter said, this is the the third time now, man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Verse 62. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine that in the middle of denying and all of that and the third one where you just connect with Jesus and you remember, what have I done? And he wept and it was bitter. I mean, do you know how that feels? Can you picture it? Can you imagine? I felt like that a few times in my life. It is not an easy feeling. And so from that moment, when he finally got smacked up and realized it, when, he, when that finally happened, no more was there any boastful speaking on behalf of Peter. The, the, all that, I, I, I thing was completely gone. He, it, it crushed his heart. It crushed his soul. And after the resurrection, Jesus tested Peter and spoke with him and asked him three times. And I want us to read that there. John 21, verse 15. John 21, verse 15. And it says the following. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend I mean, feed my sheep. This happens three times, and he asking the question three times. And, and Peter, let me tell you something more deeper than this. I wasn't going to say this today. I have mentioned it before, but I, I want to say it again. I, I'll say it here, even though it wasn't part of the message. When Jesus asked him, do you love me? In the Greek, the first two times, he says, Peter, do you, feel, do you agape me? And Jesus says, Lord, you know I feel as you. Agape is unconditional love. Doesn't matter what. Even when faced with death, you know, even if it's not fair, I will love you. Even if you're hurting me. Even if you're crushing me. Even in the middle of killing me, I can forgive you and love you. Because I love you unconditionally. It's not about how you treat me or mistreat me. I just simply love you. This is a love that can only come from the Lord. And he says, Peter, do you agape me? He says, Lord, you know I feel as you. The second time, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know. I phileos you because Peter now is recognizing that he cannot love him to the extent that he needs to be loved. He is no longer saying, Lord, yes, of course I could agape you. Actually, I just proved I could not because the minute my life was on the line, I was scared. I was ready to fight for you, but I wasn't ready to admit to the other people when they asked over and over again. So then the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, do you phileos me? He says, Lord, you know all things. Yes, you know I feel as you. The Lord was willing to, even in that questioning, meet him where he was. 
I take whatever it is that you can give me. Look, I don't need you to, to, to cleanse yourself. Are you willing to come to me just as you are? I don't need you to stop drinking or stop smoking to come to me. Are you willing to give me your heart? All that other stuff will come. I will take care of it. I don't need you to be perfect before you come see me. Are you willing to come to me where you are? And I will meet you right there. Just cry out to me and I am right there. You don't need to go that far. So Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I do love you. Christ's object lesson, page 155. This is not on the screen, but it says the following. The evil that led to Peter's fall and that shut out, and that shut out the Pharisee from communion with God is proven to ruin thousands today. There's nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all the sins, it is the most hopeless and the most incurable. This is something that we struggle with. You see, you have to understand that the fall of Peter wasn't something that happened in an instance. It was something that happened gradual. This is something that, that didn't happen like that. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give an example with, like me, with me gaining weight. You know, it wasn't like from one day to the next. It was suddenly working out less, eating a little bit more, not sleeping properly. Next thing I know, I look back, it's like, whoa, this, this close. At first, I thought the shirts were shrinking. But now, what about the pants? It's not like I've washed them. They're jeans. Why do you need to wash jeans? Just wear them anyways. And, and they no longer fit. And suddenly, you're back, it's like, oh, no. It was a very gradual thing. And so here is the whole thing. You know, I, I didn't decide, I haven't done it, by the way, this is just an example. I have to make this clear because there's always somebody that says, Pastor, shame on you or whatever. No, no, this is pretend, okay? I, I, I didn't just cheat on my wife today out of the blue. It started with a text message, a smile across the room, a flirtatious comment, maybe the, the little fluttering eyelids, you know, like, like this, a, a, a little wink perhaps, and so, and so some conversations, and then little by little, it went from the flirtatious talks to the looks to maybe the holding of hands, and, the, and then it led to me getting to know this person who's not my wife. Do you understand that it is a gradual thing? You flirt with all of that, and it leads little by little. And that's what happened. That is what happened with Peter. It was little by little. This pride just grew more and more. He wasn't like that at the beginning, but walking with Jesus all of this time, oh, yes. Not I, Lord. Maybe the others, but not me. And so he let it get to him. Recovery from where you are, or perhaps a new journey from where you are, is also the same. Very rarely does something happen like the flip of a switch. It happens little by little. I remember when Johnny, my nephew, he's living in a couple of weeks, keep him in prayer. He's going to the Air Force. But when he came at the end of October, remember we started working out, and, and the poor kid could not even get through half a mile without wanting to throw up. The other day we were running because we're doing this weird, retarded 30-day challenge where we do 100 pushes, 100 sit-ups, uh, 100 crushes, uh, and, uh, squats, and then we do uh, 10, 10 kilometers, which is 6.21 miles. And we were running the other day, and he says to me, you know what, remember when we could not even do one mile? I'm like, speak for yourself, of course, because, you know, because I, I was doing okay. But, but, but he, he is killing it. He is killing it, but it happened little by little. And when you walk with the Lord, if you get baptized today, if you give your heart to Christ today, you may mess up tomorrow, and that's okay. 
It takes little by little daily communing with the Lord. It is not something that just simply happens overnight. Does that make sense? It takes time. James 1.12, we have it up on the screen. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, we have to be able to claim the, the, the victory, the crown of victory, without denying our need for Christ. We must constantly rely on the Savior. One of the problems is that sometimes we get the victory and we lose sight of where we got the victory from. Where did it come from? That story that uh, Ariana did for children's story today, when it was talking about forgiveness, and, and the individual who uh, asked the king for forgiveness, and he forgave him all his debt, he's probably thinking, you know what, I, I'm such a good beggar, and, and I gravel so well, that yes, of course he forgave me, that's why when somebody else across the street, he ran into him and owed him money, he was unable to forgive them, because he really had not understood the forgiveness he himself had received, the reason why many of us come to worship the Lord in church with the arrogant type that I'm holier than thou and we get on our is because we have not seen how far the Lord has brought us. I did not come this far. I did not stop sinning. I did not grow or change or transform myself. This came from the Lord. So you have to be able to humble yourself and recognize who the source of your power and the source of your strength is. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says the following. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest what? Lest he falls. Christ's Object Lesson 155 says that our only safety is in constant distrust of self and dependence on Christ. Now, the story doesn't end there with Peter. This is something that you may or may not have noticed when you looked at his life. But... Peter had Jesus and all of heaven cheering for him. And you have Jesus and all of heaven on your corner saying, come on, remain strong. You could do it. If you fall down, it's okay. Come on, get up. You, you, we'll get it better. We'll do better next time. He is not like, he is not like maybe our parents or some of your parents here. He's not like, he's not a father like I'm a father. And he's not a father like the father that I had. He's not like the one where it's like, come on, do it this way. No, no, this way. Come on, you can't do anything right here. I'll take care of it myself. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But look here, as we look at the next test, Luke 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. We'll have it on the screen. And it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus was praying for Simon Peter, and he knew that it was going to happen, but I pray that, that you not fail. And when you return to me, now strengthen your brethren. The fact that you have fallen, now you, have, can, help, you can help others that have fallen as well. If you battle to addiction, through addiction and you're victorious, help others who are going through that. If you've lost someone, we talked this morning about loneliness in, in our Sabbath school lesson, and, and you are a widow or a widower, you know, help someone along who has gone through that, especially because of your failures, it will make you an amazing person to strengthen your brethren. You are able to do that. And you got Jesus himself praying for you. 
Look, I'm telling you, don't mess up. Be perfect, just as I am perfect. Walk in the Lord. Be with me. But if you mess up, I'm praying for you that you don't fail. And when you return to me, go and make others stronger. Not go and make fun of other people. Tease other people. Point fingers. <laughs> Thank God I'm not like him or that tax collector over there. There's two types of worshipers. Which one are you? Do you recognize your failures? Do you recognize where you've been? And don't you know that even if you fall, Christ is in your corner. He says he will never ever leave you nor forsake you. Not only that, not only that, but let me tell you the most beautiful thing. Jesus said this prayer before it all happened. After it happened, he asked him about whether or not he loves him. But you know what else he did immediately after the resurrection? Before that breakfast and say, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you know what he did? He had an angel talk to the woman and say something to the woman. We'll look it up on the screen now. Mark 16, 7. It says, but go tell his disciples and who? And Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, meaning Jesus, as he said to you. Do you know what that is? That immediately after Jesus resurrected, he has the angels give this message to the ladies and call Peter by name. I mean, this is like you inviting your worst enemy to a party at your house. Hey, everybody here is invited in Quran. You too. Welcome. You know, let's pretend that he is the one that did something. Do you know how that felt for Quran to get a personal invitation from the guy that he's just betrayed three times who will share stares from afar and all of those words hit you and you remember? What a gesture is that of Christ Jesus even in getting him invited into the home. Can you imagine that? Can you see that? You see, Satan leads us to sin. He, he leads us there. But then he wants us to be afraid of coming to the Lord. To stay away from him. To not want to go there. Oh, I just don't deserve it. I am miserable. I am wretched. That's what he does. But it is in our weaknesses that we need to go to him even further. It is exactly when we fall that we need to go to him. Because that is when we need him more than ever. When everything is fine. When everything is well. We need him in our lives. But especially when we fall. Now we need him more than ever. You know, uh, my wife and I, we get yearly checkups and we, we have to go uh, part of our medical insurance. We got to get like this blood work and stuff like that. And we do that as preventative and that's important. So you could catch something ahead of time, make sure things that are where they need to be. But if suddenly something falls off, cuts off my arm, uh, do I stay away from the hospital? I don't want to go in there. I'm going to get blood all over the place. And, and it's not, that's sort of what we do that when we're sinful. Oh, I don't, I don't want to go to Jesus right now. I'm ashamed. I'm afraid. That is when you need to go to him. Isaiah 27.5. Isaiah 27.5. It says, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall, he will make peace with me. When you come to the Lord, yes, you are weak. Yes, you are wretched. Yes, you are miserable. But take hold of his strength and say, Lord, I want to. I need you to help me. Strengthen me. I want to come to you and will to make peace. And you will. You shall make peace. Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25. He says, therefore, he is also able to save the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he 
always lives to make intercession for them. Always. My God neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't take a time out. He doesn't pull his phone and do not disturb. He doesn't take a day off or a vacation. He is there. Doesn't matter who you are. He always lives to make intercession for you and me. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29. It says he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. 1 John 1, 4, 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just a little bit, but from all of it. Ezekiel 36, 25. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your unfilthiness, from all your idols, from all your adultery, from all your hatred, from all your racism, from everything that you have, that bitterness, all of that. I will cleanse you from all of that. Luke 4, 18. It says, and this is now a prophecy about Jesus, which Jesus repeated himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If you need healing today, he has been sent for that. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Have you been imprisoned by your sins and your addiction and your struggle and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed? Luke 5.31 Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Understand this. I just gave you a whole bunch of verses back to back, and I'm glad we can throw it on the screen because you probably couldn't search that fast, or maybe you can. I don't know. Pathfinders have been training for that Bible World competition, and they do great so every year. So maybe they could. But the rest of us who are not Pathfinders, you know, we had them up there for that. But I threw a lot in there because I wanted you to see over and over and over. My God loves you. My God is merciful. And there's no filth in your life that he cannot cleanse. But you need to feel a need for him. You cannot walk around as though everything is okay and as though you're righteous because you're looking at everybody else. I mean, have you ever really wanted something, desired something, needed something, craved something? Just think about when you go grocery shopping, having a full stomach versus when you're hungry. You know, there's been times that I've been, that, that I said to Melanie, I said, you know what, let me, let me go ahead and eat real quick because I don't want to go shopping with hunger. And then we go, that, you know, and she's like, baby, should I get you this? Like, nah, forget about it. I'll be good. No, no, I'll be all right. And then a, a day or two later in the house, oh, we should have bought that. I'm craving it right now. But then there's been other times that I go hungry and I want it all. I mean, I just, come on. $10,000 is okay. That will last me a week. It's all good. I was hungry. You know, you, you ever crave something? Here's the thing. Many a times we don't feel the need and the desire of a Savior. Revelation 3, Revelation 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, people ask sometimes, why is it that, you know, because I, I have done this before, why is it that you go to places like Kenya and other places, you, you preach one sermon and hundreds of people give their life to Christ. You can see here week after week and tell the same people and they still won't raise their hand or give their life to Jesus so heartily. Well, because over there, they, they, they just try to find out food for the day. Sometimes a parent won't eat just so that their children can. 
They struggle. You know, they get one government issue uniform for the children, and that's the outfit they wear all year long. Sometimes those who are in need recognize their need of a Savior. But when you have need of nothing material, you may think that you don't have need of a Savior either. But you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, here's the thing. I'm sharing this concept with two worshipers, and many of you are thinking, "Mm, that's not me, that's somebody else. I'm talking to you. Forget about everybody else in this church. You need to lead your heart. You cannot follow your heart because your heart can be led astray. You cannot trust your impulses. You cannot trust your senses. You can only trust in the Lord. Now, I say this not only from all of the years of experience and counseling and things that I've seen, but the Word of God says it as well. Jeremiah 17.9. We have that on the screen. And it says, the heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, I love when people rationalize things. I've had people talk to me sometimes as pastors. You know, Lord, I have been praying for a job, and, and, and I got the job. You won't believe it, but they want me to work on, on, on Sabbath. And, and, you know, but it must be an answer prayer for the Lord because I prayed for a job, and I got the job. So it must mean that he wants me to go work on Sabbath. How do you negotiate that, that, that reasoning? Or, you know, there's many other examples where you, you sort of start convincing yourself about why you need something or why you don't need something, and you talk yourselves into things. Lead your heart, do not follow your heart, but your heart can be led astray. Therefore, you must simply follow Christ. You know, um, we, we, we say some things and we don't, we don't mean it sometimes, and so we can't do that. Uh, what you say and what you do is totally different. Nobody cares. You know, Ellen White says that it doesn't matter what the minister preaches, but what the church lives. I'm not going to change this community. You will, depending on how it is that you're living. You ever try to talk yourself into something? I remember when, when I was a kid, and we would be doing things that, you know, when we're supposed to, and, and it would be dark, and, and it's like, you know, I would say things like, I'm, I'm not scared. And then it's quiet. There's no noise, but it's like, what was that? But it's absolutely zero noise. What is that? <clears throat> I, I knew that. Yeah, I'm good. And you try to pretend, and you talk yourself into that. Or, or, or kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I say this in, in, in couples sometimes, where, where does the thing is, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a jealous person. But hey, why were you touching that guy's shirt? Dude, it was a mannequin. I just wanted to see if it would fit you. Hey, it doesn't matter. The only shirt you could touch is the one that I'm wearing. You know, that kind of thing. I thought you said you weren't jealous, because you're sure not acting like it. Or, my favorite one, my favorite one, you know, I, I don't like to gossip or anything like that. But do you see? <laughs> it's like, you know what? Uh, no, no offense, but I'm going to offend you. No, not to be rude, but I'm about to be really rude. You know, I'm not racist or anything, but do you notice? I love how you give the disclaimer about what you are not right when you're about to do it. Isn't a time that what you did matched your words? Throwing two last quotes on the screen from Christ's Object Lesson because they needed to be said and they will be said. Uh, Christ's Object Lesson, page 159. It says, The lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge while speaking to God of poverty of spirit. 
the heart may be swelling with the conceit of his own superior humility and exalted righteousness. In one way, only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold Christ. It is ignorance of him that makes men so uplifted in their own righteousness. And then page 160, it says, None of the apostles or prophets ever claimed to be without sin. Men who have lived nearest to God, men who will sacrifice life itself rather than knowingly commit a wrong act, men whom God had honored with divine light and power, have confessed the sinfulness of their own nature. They have put no confidence in the flesh, have claimed no righteousness of their own, but have trusted wholly in the righteousness of Christ. So will it be with all who behold Christ. See, understand this. We are not perfect, and the sooner you realize, the better you are. And the more and more you walk with God, the more and more you realize of your wrongdoings. You know, when I first got into this country, uh, I didn't quite understand things. I was a teenager. I was a kid. I mean, I was born here, but in Puerto Rico, we weren't doing taxes and stuff at the time as we do them here. And so when I started working, and I was wondering who FICA was and who all those mean people were that were taking money from me. And then I had to do income taxes. And then my first year ever working had to pay over $2,000 back, you know, to the IRS. I was so upset. Oh, I was so angry because, you know, come on, what is this? And, and so the next year I learned that you could do things like, you know, embellish your mileage to work. Say you bought extra bathing suits. I used to be a lifeguard, but apparently I had business expenses, you know, uh, glow-in-the-dark bathing suits and things like that. I have whatever, you know, so you could write off your expenses and all those different things. So even though I knew that bearing false witness was bad, I had no idea that lying and stealing from the government was a bad thing. I just thought uh, this is just a workaround from Uncle Sam. And it didn't dawn on me until later, like, Wow. You know what? That's lying. That's also stealing. That's also not giving to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. Oh, me. Oh, my. And, and for years, I did that. I even have family members who offered to lend me some of their kids. I was really tempted, but by then I had learned where the line was, and I shouldn't claim children that were not mine because I had no kids at the time. You know? and, and so I get it. They said, look, we'll just split the profit back 50-50, and you can have one of my children. But you know, not that you guys are familiar with that or ever dare do anything like that. But what I'm saying is that as you walk with the Lord, you learn how things are a little bit Different and things get more serious. Yes, I won't commit murder, but Jesus says that even if you get angry at your brother, it's the same thing as killing them. And when was the last time you got angry at someone? Come on now, you can't say amen, say ouch. Ezekiel. 36, 31, as we draw near to the Lord, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. But doesn't leave you there. Ezekiel 16, beginning on verse 62, he says, And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 63. That you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I provide you an atonement for all you have done. So yes, you'll remember it. See, the only person that forgives and forgets is God. You should never forget lest you repeat it again. 
Does that make sense? So we'll remember it will be there, but he will provide an atonement for all that you have done, says the Lord. And he will bring that to mind. Romans 7, 18. It says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is to present, to, is, to, is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. And last text for today, Galatians 6, 14. For God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Do not be boastful. Do not be filled with pride. Recognize your shortcomings. Ask the Lord for strength. Out of the two worshipers, which one do you really want to be? Out of Cain and Abel, which one do you want to be? Why bother even coming to church and getting up early if at the end your offering is going to be rejected because you were not fully sincere and you were not appreciative or grateful for what the Lord had done in your life? Don't boast about anything. I can only give glory to God for everything that I have, how far I have come. Not because I came here by myself, but because the Lord brought me this far. And if I will boast, it will simply be about the mercies and the love of Jesus. I am one who went from being called child of the devil in Puerto Rico, hijo del diablo, to suddenly being a minister in the church. I mean, who would have thunk it? That you could have done such a thing. And it is not I, but Christ that lives in me. He's not finished with me yet. There's a lot more. There's still days today. I was having an argument with him this week. And I was thinking some things in my mind. And, and you know, uh, 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 the wind came, flung the door shut, and bumped me right in the head from the car. And it's like, all right, I hear you loud and clear. Smack me up a little bit. I understand. Sorry for thinking that way. Please forgive me, God. You know, he, he kind of corrects you a little bit. Boast only about what Christ has done in your life. I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning. Father God, I come before you. And Lord, I just went very explicitly in the various stages of the life of Peter. Not all of it, but most of it. I went on very explicitly about two types of worshipers because these two worshipers both went to the temple. These two worshipers both went to the Tallahassee First Seventh-day Adventist Church. These two worshipers both came before the throne of grace, but only one was a pure, sincere heart, recognizing that he is nothing without you. And Lord, we are nothing without you. But thanks be to God Almighty for loving us so much, for sending His Son, Christ Jesus, to die for all of us so that our sins could be atoned, so that all of us who repent can be forgiven because He is faithful and just to forgive us. And we cannot have gone so far astray that we cannot be made whole again in Christ Jesus. Bless us and help us be like one out of those two worshipers, the one that is fully accepted and welcome and not rejected, but welcome into the kingdom of heaven. This is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.